Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're listening to All of It. I'm Allison Stewart. Today, we're taking some time to revisit our conversations with some of the most celebrated authors of the year, many of whom were also get lit with All of It book club guests. One of those guests was poet, memoirist, and now novelist Patricia Lockwood. You might know her from her acclaimed memoir, Priest Daddy. And this year, she released her debut novel, No One Is Talking About This. Patricia and the protagonist of her novel have a few things in common. Both of these women saw their careers take off when something they posted went viral. In the case of Patricia, it was a poem. In the case of our protagonist, it was a post that said, Can a dog be twins? Patricia and the book's protagonist also shared the same heartbreaking tragedy, losing a niece before her first birthday due to complications of Proteus syndrome. These two experiences form the backbone of No One Is Talking About This. In the novel, our protagonist, who remains unnamed, spends all of her time on a social media platform called The Portal, basically Twitter. Her virality has given her a career, which allows her to travel around the world talking to fans and sitting on panels. But for all that the portal has given to her, our protagonist starts to get the sense that social media is beginning to shape the way she writes, her patterns of speech, even the way she thinks. And those changes aren't necessarily for the better. It's only when family tragedy strikes that our protagonist is able to take a step back and reevaluate her relationship with the Internet and with the loved ones around her. Since we spoke with Patricia back in March, No One Is Talking About This was named one of the 10 best books of the year by the New York Times and was a finalist for the Booker Prize. I began my conversation at our Get Lit event by asking Patricia why she decided to title this novel, No One Is Talking About This. Yes. So this is sort of, um, it was kind of a little bit of a meme. It's something that people say a lot on Twitter, or as I call it in the book, the portal. There is a lot of times um, a tweet where someone is trying to point our attention to something that in fact, everyone is talking about. Everybody knows what it is and has been Mm -hmm. saying a lot about it, actually. And they'll end the tweet with like, no one is talking about this exclamation point. Um, And it's just kind of like a way to point to the importance of what you're talking about. It's in the same vein as things like three red and that sort of mm. thing, that, that kind of convention that we've always seen. But it felt sometimes these conventions or even these memes do have this this broader meaning, um, this, mm-hmm. this sort of profundity, I think. And I felt that in this title. I called it that for a while, and then I tried to change it to People on the Sun, and we decided that we couldn't do that. It was just too... I think they really wanted me to go with something that the headline could be, everyone is talking about this. So it was absolutely not an option that we would change it. Marketing was like, there's no way we're keeping... Uh, no one is talking about this. You know, it's interesting. A friend of mine, I said, you have to read this book. It's really great. And they were reading the first half and they're like, I really love this book. This is great. And then he said to me, the second half. I just got a tweet, that said, a, a, a text that said, the second half. When you were writing the book, how did you think about putting these two, two parts, these two very different parts 
they're very different, but they feel right together. I guess yeah. I'm asking, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's a good question. And I think it's because the second half is largely autobiographical, yeah. much more so than the first half. You know, there are definitely things with dildos in the first half that aren't true, mom, if you're watching. <laughs> but the second half, uh, that break, I experienced it as a rupture in time, really. Uh, but there was mm. sort of something I had tuned myself to do when I was writing about the portal, which is uh, that I was observing everything, like the little downy hair you know, on, on like the forehead of the internet, really. And I was still doing that, but it was turned to a real life situation. Hmm. Uh, and then it was actually turned to a person who needed my attention and who needed my care, who needed my eye. Um, and I mm -hmm. felt like it's maybe what I had been developing that eye for. So I just really began to compulsively write about my niece um, when she was born. And before that, when my sister was pregnant and I told my sister that I was writing about her and I said, I, I can't stop. I feel it as a physical response, something I ought to be doing so that I don't lose any of it. And maybe that's mm. the thing that was animating the first half of the book too, the desire to not lose any of it. I didn't, where does it go if we don't write it down? Why does your protagonist spend so much time in the portal? Aside from the fame, what does she get out of it? This is this is a good question too, and I think for me and and some other people who use the portal in this way, I think we get stuck in it. Um, I'm a person who, for long periods, will experience hyperfocus. Um, I stim a lot. I'll read for periods of 10, 11 hours. Um, there's something that neurodivergent people actually experience, some of them called inertia, which is not just always the um, inability to start something, but the inability to stop something. So if I'm doing something, a lot of times I cannot stop doing it, if that makes any sense. And so I think some people with ADD, um, you know, people who are on the spectrum, people who have sort of different uh, like cognitive setups, mm -hmm. I think sometimes just find themselves in this place and, and not really leaving it. But that being said, I think it's also set up to, um, to sort of... Uh, it, exact this from people who don't have those issues too. So it is being set up to turn us into little rats who are going for the dopamine pellet. Um, all of these apps mm -hmm. are, are pretty much designed in this way. So even if you're not a person like me who, you know, can read a book for 10 hours and then can read the internet for 10 hours, I, I think that you can end up doing that stuff too, because it's been designed that way. Let's talk a little bit about your writing style. Do the fragments come to you fully formed? Yes, basically, yes. When they're mm -hmm. good, they come to me fully formed. If I find that I'm really, really overworking something, it probably needs to be chucked out. Um, I think it's a lot like poetry, where a good line will arrive in the way that a good joke will. And it's just absolutely like that. It's it's a physical response. It comes out of your mouth almost whole. Um, and it doesn't seem like it could have been written any other way. So the ones that, that come out that way are usually the ones that stay. And the ones that I'm just like sitting there with that lump of Play-Doh, just working it and working it while it gets worse and worse and worse. Those are usually the ones that you have to let them go. You know, you feel that you're pouring your sweat and your blood into those, but it's also like you're also working over them so hard sometimes because they're not working. So just let them go. Just let that ugly thing be. <laughs> you know, obviously as a poet, you, you love words. And even the, with the fragments, not even with the fragments, are beautifully put together. And clearly you've worked on them. And they, even if they've come to you perfectly formed, you've figured out what order they should be in and what rhythm mm -hmm, they should be in and mm -hmm. who, with what they should be paired with. So what was it that you wanted to explore about language? 
It's and it's so interesting after hearing you describe really having to work and massage these fragments, and then to think about the way you you write about and your narrator thinks about language. I think that. I think people talk about Twitter, about the portal, as, as like a jumble of, of, of meaningless fragments thrown together. Um, but I think we experience tremendous meaning in the portal. And I think that the meaning comes through that contrast, that juxtaposition. I think we are experiencing a narrative in there that is supplied by the way those, those fragments lie against each mm. other. I think it's different for every other person. And it's different every time, but it is a narrative. It is some kind of meaning. And I know knew all the way back, like to when I started that, of course, I wanted to write about the language. That is what we have been doing there. That's what we were doing there at the mm -hmm. very beginning when Twitter was good in 2011, in those days where it seemed like we were building mm -hmm. something, something together. And it was absolutely collaborative. And if we were starting to sound a bit like each other, it was in a, in a, a way like we were a collective, like we were some sort of comedy team who was all working in tandem. And I liked that a lot because I think that's how language happens. And I think it's how new language happens. And I think at the beginning of all new language, there's people talking about how crappy it is, basically, right? Or how it isn't, it, it, it isn't real. It's not the stuff that you can write books out of, you know, that it's, it's not as good as what we had before. And I think it is always as good as what we had before, because it's what we use to speak to each other. Mm -hmm. So I wanted even in the second half of the book to show that she still thinks in that language, that she even like talks to the baby in that language, that right. she wants to read the baby Wikipedia. Um, all of these things that make up the new fabric of her life, those things are real. It is a real language and she can use it to talk to people. Let's talk about the second half of the book when we see the protagonist with her sister, who's learned that the child is grow has this condition known as Proteus syndrome, which your niece has. Uh, Proteussyndrome.org describes it this way. Proteus syndrome is a condition which involves atypical growth of the bones, skin and head, and can lead to a variety of other symptoms. The condition is caused by a genetic mutation in AKT1, an important gene that helps to regulate the growth of cells. In this book, this is based on your real niece, Lena. And you write about her. This is for Lena, who was a bell. Yes. Why was that a good description of Lena? It is because uh, there was a moment where my sister and I discovered that she responded to music when she was in utero. Mm. And the first time it ever happened was the, it was like the, the Negulesco overture for the, um, for the movie How to Marry a Millionaire. And she started really responding to the horns. And I thought, well, there's really something to that. So I started playing her all this old, um, musicals, uh, soundtracks. <laughs> and she loved the song, um, If I Were a Bell from Guys and Dolls. She uh. responded to it. She would cycle her legs, she mm -hmm. would pump her arms, and she was experiencing sheer, complete sensory excitement. The, the only way she could experience those things, uh, th that, that kind of feeling, mm -hmm. is if you brought them to her. She wasn't going to, you know, just uh, start hearing a song out of nowhere on her own. We realized at some point that we had to bring her these things, like flowers, that we had to show them to her, uh, lay them in her lap, really, uh, and show her the things of the world. So, yeah, and that to me, that pure responsiveness, it was not just about the song, but it was about her, that she was a bell just swinging back and forth and ringing and ringing. You write about Lena and the acknowledgments 
you were not here to teach us, but we did learn. Yeah. What did you learn? I mean, everything. There was, I write in the book that it was something like the feeling of travel, that you were put back in your body again, that you were the, mm -hmm. the slap of your souls on the pavement, uh, pavement, and you were, you know, the palms of your hands, that you were your eyes experiencing these new sights. So you were interpreting the world for her. So you were seeing all those things again. You were seeing the meaning of them, and you were thinking about what they meant to you. Um, again, she was, she was like a flower. She was something that, that, that needed air and needed water and, and needed love. And you represented those things. And the education was just bringing them to her. And, mm. and so you would see them yourself again for the first time. It was beautiful to hear you describe wanting to take your niece out into the world and, and, the, and the protagonist does as well. They want to take the child out and have her experience the world. But they start to realize, the narrator starts to realize the world can be a scary place because people can be horrible. Um, in the book, it says, a teenager on the nighttime ferry snuck his phone over her shoulder to take a picture of the baby in her special stroller. Though by that time, it seemed baffling. She didn't look that different from other babies, did she? He was taking pictures because of her sweetness, her freshness, not because he was going to post them, right? Is the internet frightening? Is the portal frightening for your narrator now as someone who got so much from it and was so devoted to it? Maybe in that way, possibly in that moment. But I think what the narrator is experiencing and what I experienced myself was sheer bafflement again. Mm -hmm. Because when you speak in terms of education, there is also something that is the education of the eye. Mm. When a doctor tells you about a syndrome, when your doctor says, you know, this is what Proteus syndrome is, don't look it up. What they mean is that you'll, you know, go to Google Images and that you will potentially experience a moment of shock because mm. you're registering something that is not what you expect. But when you are talking about individuals, when you're talking about people you know, when you're talking about your own niece, the eye is educated. She is herself. That is how she looks. She is beautiful. And I think it's so important later that what the narrator realizes too is that it, it wouldn't fright her. It wouldn't frighten her. Um, you know, after the child is gone to put her picture in the portal, because then people would see her, mm. that that is a sort of continuance of her. And then, in fact, what she wanted at that time just was for people to see her. What do you think is the biggest piece of knowledge that the narrator learns in the second half of the book? Uh, I think it is just there's a moment where the narrator... <laughs> Her husband is calling to tell her about a news story about people, um, you know, enemies shooting a word into someone's brain through radio waves. And she's like, oh, my God, like, can they do it with any word? And he's like, yeah, any word. And she's like, maybe something like that is what happened to me, that someone just shot the word love into my heart, that it is just that word, this, 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 not even just her name, but just the word love, love, love. That was my conversation with author Patricia Lockwood about her debut novel, No One is Talking About This. It was a finalist for the Booker Prize and named one of the 10 best books of the year by the New York Times. It was also our March Get Lit with All of It book club selection. Up next, we end the hour with one last acclaimed Get Lit author. Lauren Groff discusses her latest novel, Matrix. Stay with us.
NYC Now delivers the most up-to-date local news from WNYC and Gothamist every morning, midday, and evening. With three updates a day, listeners get breaking news, top headlines, and in-depth coverage from across New York City. By sponsoring programming like NYC Now, you'll reach our community of dedicated listeners with premium messaging and an uncluttered audio experience. Visit sponsorship.wnyc.org to get in touch and find out more.